Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Hello, everybody. It's that time of year. It's March. It's officially March Madness. Well, actually, I don't know if March Madness begins when until the tournament, but it's March Madness. It's me, your boy, Prez, a.k.a. Hot Take Prez, a.k.a. More Aggressive Takes than Ja on social media. And I'm here with a very special guest. Not the first time he'll be here. Not the last time he'll be here. It's none other than the Strickland's own contributor, writer, podcaster, Twitterer, coming to you from a different continent entirely. It's Stacy. How you doing, Stacy Patton? I'm doing well. Uh, usually, I'm coming from another planet anyway. So there we go. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, though, Chris. Yes, usually the planet of Connecticut. But before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. You can subscribe to it. That is at the strict.land on Instagram. Please give us a follow on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel. Um, you may or may not be watching this podcast on YouTube. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. Furthermore, the Strickland has merchandise, new merchandise that dropped. Uh, and there's even more to come. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, shorts, sweatpants, hats, you name it. We got it. Finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, this pod that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag. There are further... Sorry. Finally, you also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll My Solo Pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on a pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. So uh, yeah, we can get right into it. Uh, I mean, it's March. I'm behind on my scouting. I haven't, I feel like I haven't watched as much as I want to watch about a lot of these prospects, but particularly in the 20 to 10 range. Um, but the good news is, this is the time of year where I change Draft Strickland's format from once every two weeks to once every week in an attempt to catch up and do all of my homework at the last minute by taking advantage of people who know things and watch hoops. And generally, I can just uh, take their takes and 
today, the topic of conversation is one that is near and dear to my heart because it, the genesis of this topic was one of the best draft things that I have read. And it was an article published by Stacy. What year was that? Was the Poku draft, right? Yeah, that was that's been a minute. Uh, yeah, that was like the, peak pandemic, I think. Yeah, the Poku draft, as everybody 100% absolutely <laughs> calls that class. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like uh, 2020, that was 2020, yeah. right? Am I tripping? All right, yeah, 2020 draft, 2020, and you know, it was a weird time to be a Knicks fan, right? Like we were beginning the Leon Rose era and at the same time around the league, the offenses, they didn't quite reach fifth gear like they have now, but you could tell teams were beginning to like maximize shot profiles and things really slowly, not the Knicks, but other teams. And um, we already were kind of moving away from the old, like Ryan Anderson, Steve Novak, Bruce Bowen, like three and D specialist era and kind of you could you could see hints that like tall players were learning how to dribble and pass and coming into the draft with shooting ability and things like that, which is why Poku was kind of the patron saint for this transition and for this article. But more importantly than that, this this article kind of put together a a rubric or a heuristic, whatever you want to call it, to uh, look at power forwards or large basketball players with skills, however you want to call it, and uh, whether they might be cool in theory or cool in actuality. Or like, what does it take to be a, a kind of power forward, big wing type, and really make it on a contender? But I'm, I'm not really doing it justice. So, Stacy, do you want to give the quick the quick version of this thesis. Yeah. The, the article was definitely not a quick version um, for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because definitely uh, informed by a lot of the discussions that we've had. Um, no, I mean, I think the, the basic premise was I, I looked at basically, I actually went all the way back to the eighties um, when uh, some of my editors present couple included at the Strickland were like, yeah, you don't need to go back to looking at Moses Malone. <laughs> Um, for, for to, to look at what, uh, what we need to talk about. But uh, I looked at all the, the, the teams that made the finals going back, back to the 90s, and the fours on each team had uh, certain traits. Um, and I've made a case, I had a feeling for a while, that power forward is actually in many ways the most important position uh, or, or a very important position that maybe everyone doesn't think about, uh, particularly on defense. I think it's the second most important defensive position um, this is actually a point of debate between me and Dallas Amigo, who's a great guy to follow on Strickland. This is like kind of a running debate we've had because he argues it's the least important position on defense. But uh, my point is like because of kind of just you know it's six; those guys can be anywhere from six seven to six ten. Uh, well, if I say six seven, Prez is gonna not be happy about that, so I'll say they're six eight to six eleven. But they're kind of the median, <laughs> or a little bit higher than the median of the height in the NBA. So they are the kind of guys that can be tall and long enough to, to do big things, but they're, um, you know, but agile enough to do guard things. And when you have, because of that, if you take advantage of, of that, you know, that you're going to have a guy like that out there and you get someone really versatile, it's like a force multiplier and it makes everyone else's jobs easier. Uh, I think the analogy I used was like kind of like a left tackle and, um, 
in in football where the left tackles, you know, are they're not the star in the same way their quarterback is thought, but you know, they make everyone's lives easier by doing a lot of things that that aren't accounted for, right? So, uh, you know, if you have a four that can do things like protect the rim as a secondary rim protector, it allows your center to be more aggressive, right? If they can space the floor, it allows more space for your pick and roll game. Um, so I had all these ideas. So if you go back, so you know, you can look at. I'm not going to go through every one the way I did, but if you look at the teams that have won titles, I think I did in 2020. So the Lakers had just won it with, um, I think they were about to win it with, with AD, uh, you know, 2019, you know, um, who was it? 2019. Uh, anyway, it was like a lot of the Cavs and some Cavs had Kevin Love. The Warriors teams obviously had Draymond. Um, and, you know, before that you had the Heat, you know, Bosch played this kind of archetypal role. Uh, so I looked at all of going back, and then there's actually four traits that stood out to me. Um, so there's four traits that I think are very important for a power forward. Um, I probably think that there's a couple of others that we can talk about later, but these are the main ones that if you look at that historical list, people have the criteria where they're elite at two of these or above average at three. Um, so you either you are elite at, you're two, elite at two of these skills or... I would say above average for NBA fours at three of them. So one of them is shooting. Um, so just raw perimeter shooting. One of them is playmaking, right? So, and that's, I think that's the one where I think me and you press have debated the most, but what does that mean exactly? You know, Paul Gasol was a playmaker of one kind as a post playmaker. Draymond Green was a short role playmaker, right? Can we count those as the same thing? I'm saying yes, because it kind of, juices your offense but it's in very different ways but anyway the ability to create shots for yourself and or others um as playmaking um team defense is the other one so the ability to rotate you know maybe switch on to perimeter players um have some defensive versatility and then the last one i would say is rim protection so secondary rim protection is very important um you know you've seen it from you know from guys a guy like chris bosh right chris bosh also played the five for them but um, his ability to not only, you know, be a great help defender, but also, you know, if they did have a center get pulled out or if, you know, if Miami trapped as they're wont to do, being able to clean up on the back end, uh, you know, those kind of guys. So those are the four skills. So if you're a lead at two of them uh, or above average at three, you know, the, every team that made the finals had a guy like that with the exception, I believe, of uh, the Heat in 2006. Um, because I don't know if you would uh, call Antoine Walker that, um, but you can you can go through the list. Everyone on these finals teams they had those guys, you know. But even the Pistons were like the exception. A lot of these rules of thumb we have on on championships, you know, having these stars. Or I mean, Rasheed Wallace even before that, even at that time, was kind of the archetypal version of this. Yeah, um, he so definitely just a couple a great example. example. Yeah. Uh, and so I realized I did, this isn't the quick version, but just to give a couple examples, right? Like <laughs> if you're going to be all offense, um, so Rashid is one example of a guy who was above average at a bunch of things, right? He was an above average shooter for that time, uh, above average rim protector. He's a good shot blocker, um, above average playmaker, I would say. And, uh, and I would say elite team defender, um, but he was playing uh, obviously on a great team defense too. But then if you, let's say you're not as like, let's say you're an offense only player, then you better be, elite at those two offensive things I, I can think of and um, you know that I mentioned. And that the example of that is Dirk, right? So Dirk was, nobody's confusing him with Hakeem Olajuwon, but, um, you know, he, or at least on defense. Um, but, you know, obviously 
an elite shooter and an elite shot creator, especially for himself. And I actually think he's a pretty underrated passer too. Um, really good. So passer. you know, th those are the, yeah. Uh, it's just not the first thing people mention when they talk about Dirk. But um, but yeah. So uh, anyway, I'll I'll cut it off there. I talked for a while, but uh, hopefully that uh that gives you the breadth of it. Yeah, and it was it was timely back at the beginning of the pandemic in the 2020 draft, and you know we talked about Poku a lot, and Poku was like a Rorschach image for draft Twitter. I mean, he's still like whatever, only 20 or 21, but um, because well, he had been the playing pretty well this year, he has. This is the first year I think where he's like like a Look like plus, an player. yeah, like a plus impact player. Which whatever, he's like 20, right? Like I don't think it's behind schedule necessarily or anything. Um, and yeah, he's, he's the kind of player who had showed flashes of really good playmaking shooting rim protection and team defense. So it was, a, you know, question was like, Oh, he might have many paths to uh, being good, whether it's being good at a lot of stuff or being really good at a few things or whatever. So what I was thinking before we get to the 2023 players in the class who um, might who might be worth looking at through this lens, through this rubric. Um, I want to talk about a little, some of the, the fours and power fours currently on contending teams, just to kind of walk through how this stuff works in reality. And I forgot to mention at the top, the whole reason, or not the whole reason, but one of the reasons we started looking at this also was because back in the day, you know, in the pre Julius Ascension days, it was like, okay, this seems like a need we should be considering, right? When we, every team has these impactful rangy wings or mobile bigs or whatever. And the Knicks, we didn't know if Julius was the guy we didn't know if Obi later, we would look at Obi through this lens and it's like, okay, we don't know if he can be the guy. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. Um, so it, it has always been along with um, point guard until this season, really one of the like, ah oh, man, I wish the Knicks had a versatile four. And uh, you know, like, when I started coming up with this draft topic, I was listing the different contending teams. And at the bottom, I put Knicks for funsies after like all the contenders. But because I want to do a written version of this analysis, but I'm going to take out the for funsies because they're fucking up people's couches. And they're as much of a content, you know, maybe they're not a real contender, but they're as much as a contender as like Cleveland or Memphis or Cleveland. whatever. Like, you know, like, I don't think any of these teams are going to are on the level of say like Philly or Milwaukee, but um, uh, anyway, so let's, let's start out real quick with, with Julius. So as a reminder, the categories are shooting, playmaking, uh, rim protection and team defense. I tried to, I gave my guess. I don't think he's elite at any of those things, but he's, pretty good at a lot of those things right so he's not a all 40 protection yeah exactly that's that's what i wrote down as well like his shooting is at the point where i'm comfortable saying he's definitely above average given the volume anybody who could bust out eight threes on a given night not even and if it's not regular thing. yeah like you're you're above average <laughs> a shooter and a lot of that stuff it even makes me think that maybe it even makes me think that like if you have like, like I mean, I guess this is a tangent, but like you have 35% from three on eight threes a game. Would you take that? Or what was he during the pandemic? Like 41% on five attempts per game or something? Which I did a Twitter poll. I, I did a Twitter poll of this. Like, 
like two months ago, this exact Twitter poll, and it was pretty evenly split. And I think most people, um, I did a blind poll. So some people knew the numbers were Julius, but not everybody. And I think the, it was about split between people who wanted more accuracy, smaller volume, and people like me who preferred more threes, slightly less accuracy, just because you got to bomb away in today's NBA, man. Offenses are too crazy. Even if you're not hitting like 37%, like it's just really important for spacing and for getting up lots of shots. I think it it does depend on the role. Mm-hmm. But I mean, one, if you have Jalen Brunson on your team, yeah, I want you taking a lot of threes. And yeah. two, um, <laughs> and two, um, it, you know, think about the shots he's not taking as a result, right? One, right. a lot of those are shots where last year he was pump faking, dribbling into a contested. It's not just the fact that it's a two versus three. It's also the fact that when you dribble in after that pump fake, like those were just really bad contested shots. Whereas a three is going to have a little more room. Uh, it's probably going to be more in rhythm. And, um, and yeah, I think, and, and, and as a result, if they have to come guard him out there, it opens up more drives, right? So you can see it. I think that's been a key driver of his, uh, his shot distribution changing. And I think that's probably going to go in the modern NBA to your point for most players, right? Yeah, it's just such a, like team-wide, you, you need to take so many threes to be offensively efficient these days. And with a, you know, with non-shooting fives and with Jalen Brunson, who shoots a lot more threes than he used to, but still not a lot of threes, then it's incumbent on uh, whoever is playing with Brunson and the bigs to hoist them up. So, um, and, and they've talked about uh, Fred Cass's talk to Julius and Tibbs, and they've said that's by design pretty much for a couple of years, like ratcheting up the volume from three. Um, so real quick, let's uh, go through some of these other teams. We mentioned Memphis, right, back in uh, earlier in the pod. Darren Jackson is is the four there. I put him down as elite for rim protection and team defense. I mean, he's getting yeah. pretty rightful defensive player of the year buzz, I feel like, this year. What do you think? Yeah, he's – I mean, I think um, when I, I wrote this article, I think it was like the year after – or a couple years out. He was a Luka draft. Um, he yeah. is like one of the guys I would have had in mind as like the ideal, um, which is, and by the way, like, I think if you read that article, one thing I emphasize is it's not always the best player on the team, right? If it's Duncan or Nowitzki, that's one thing, but like a lot of these guys like Robert Ori, for example, going way back, they're like role player types, but they fit these key needs. Right. And that's kind of, I'm not saying Jaron Jackson's a role player, but, but in some ways he's like the star version of one, right? Because he's not the typical ISO guy. He's not a guy even you throw it into the posts a ton. But he like he made an all star game because of the impact and the number of things he could do. Um, but yeah, I, I would say elite at both of those things for a sh- for a power forward. I'll still put him as an above average shooter, but like that's what I had. Shooter. Yeah, yeah, that's um, what I had. And then, I was like not elite, but it he's a good shooter. <laughs> and then he's he's not. A, I've never been too impressed. I, that was one thing at Michigan State. So full disclosure, everyone. Um, you can feel free to boo me. I had Jaron Jackson number one in my draft board in a class that included Luka Doncic. No, I do not think that's still the case. Um, I, I did have Doncic too, but um, you know, but that's just how high I was. But one thing was I also thought, and I think Prez, me and you have talked about it, I did not think he was used properly at all at Michigan State. And some of the flashes of, of off-the-bound stuff he was allowed to do, I thought that there was more playmaking upside than he showed for whatever reason. 
it hasn't really come to fruition. But um, but when you're as good at the other things as we've mentioned, it doesn't matter as much. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so just sticking with the Western Conference, um, Draymond, you mentioned him before. He's the archetype for versatile four, right? Like elite team defense, elite rim protection, and elite playmaking, I would say, even if he shoots like booty. Um, you know, the the rubric says you need two elite skills. I'd say he has three, which is why, you know, he is who he is, right? He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer even though he doesn't have counting stats just because he's so great at some of the things he do that don't always show up on the stat sheet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. Reason he's a four time champ. Yeah. Moving along to the contending Kangs. Uh, you talked about Sabonis. This was actually kind of tricky for me. Um, I think he's an elite playmaker for sure. Uh, I wasn't sure if he was elite at anything else, right? Like, I mean, team, he's not an elite rim, rim protector. He's not a bad team defender. He's probably but solid. He's even but... above average. I mean, the fours, there's a lot of good, like, there's a lot of good four defenders, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and then this, the other thing is, like, evaluating him by this rubric, I, I've said, like, it's just playmaking. And then he's now solid at team defense. He's still not a good shooter, and uh, he's still not a good rim protector. But this gets at what you were saying uh, before we started recording, which is one of the advantages that kind of isn't quite incorporated into this quick back-of-the-napkin analysis is, like, some of these fours can actually play the five. And sure, some of them might be giving up something on defense in some ways by doing it, but if it makes the rest of your skills play up, then... You know, it's definitely like a little bonus thing. Like the war, uh, and he's a perfect example. I'm pretty sure I haven't said that in reference. A sub bonus, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure he's played the five more than he's played the four this year. On basketball reference, he's listed as a center, which would have been my cheat to get out of it. If I was really painted into a corner and this was a heuristic I wanted to die on the hill with. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. I think uh, I, I do like my original thought was that. One, I think historically there has been a little bit less, like, can you play small in a pinch hasn't been what turns a series. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I, like, I, I don't know that, I don't know that Sacramento can go all the way doing that with him playing center. Um, you know, I think the best example of that, um, actually, yeah, how would you compare him to, to Prime Stoudemire? So that's that's the guy who I think was really a four, but was really effective at the five and worth that trade off, right? Yeah, I mean they're way different, right? Like you go, you they're, look at Amari. Players, but yeah, sir. Yeah. yeah, like he's a, an example. He's also a good question for you in terms of like he was a really good shooter at a time when guys who were really good shooters didn't always shoot threes. So uh, yeah, like he was on a the Knicks tank, and the, but, yeah, yeah. And, and he could have probably easily extended his range. I mean, like his form looked fine. He just he just came up into the league a little too early for that. Um, the one three I'll always remember didn't count. That's what sucks. <laughs> I know, I know. I remember where I was at a bar when I watched that shit. It was horseshit. Um, hopefully, we smash on Boston again tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. He uh, he's not a versatile four, right? Like he's not. He wasn't a bad playmaker. But he definitely wasn't a good playmaker. And 
he provided decent help rim protection. He wasn't good at primary rim protection. I don't know if you would call him an elite help rim protector. I would say he's above average. Um, yeah. I mean, team defense, he was awful. <laughs> team defense, he was like one of the... I mean, it was the poster child for... If you didn't believe mm-hmm. D'Antoni coach defense, the fact that he mm-hmm. built his teams around Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire would be... Um, some arrows in your quiver. No, I mean, I think um, I'm very curious to see what happens with this Kings team. We're going to play them for the first, this is the first time this season, right? I'm going to play I them think so. Um, I'm very curious to see um, how they go forward in the playoffs because I, I think they're going to have to, like, what are they going to play them at the five against Denver? Who's a bonus? Yeah. They have to. What are they going to do? Put Keegan Murray on Jokic? <laughs> Well, I mean, no, I mean, I think you would go. Oh, I mean, with him at the four Holmes, and like, yeah, Holmes or something. Like that's can you can you win a championship with Sabonis at the five or like really playing heavy minutes with that lineup? Because then I don't know how. Like I don't know if I would. So that that's where it gets a little tricky. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah. like because their power forward right now is listed as Harrison Barnes, who I think actually does fit that versatility metric right now. But sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say they don't have like traditional big power forwards. They have Barnes and and Keegan, um, who and you know, Trey you, Lyles. You, and Trey Lyles and uh, various other mid, but mostly those guys. And <laughs> if you look don't at call those guys, mid. you know who you know who wants Trey Lyles in the Knicks. Phil Jackson Schwinn. somewhere. <laughs> Phil Jackson somewhere too, but it's a Schwinn Jackson too. So I we forgot that that was one of Schwinn's brief. Ill-fated agendas. Um, no, I think you, you brought it up on a pod recently. Like, why? <laughs> uh, well, because well, it's, this is a side note, but I would imagine you were of the opinion that Obi's probably going to get moved this offseason. If not this offseason, at some point. Yeah, like for all parties involved, so they're going to need someone to come in as a backup for whether they draft one or it's a cheap bet. Ideally, you have one of each and let them duke it out. So in that case, Trey Lyles wouldn't be a bad... Like, if you do get yeah. a guy like um, um, either Chris Murray or um, um, Hendricks. Wow, sorry. Uh, you know, if one of them competes with them. Anyway, that's a tangent. But, um, but yeah, I think the point is, like, if you're counting Barnes as the, their power forward, which is what Basketball Reference says, I think they fit that. And if you're counting Sabonis, I think that there's a whole other conversation that yeah, like should should a fifth should a fifth category here be the ability to play center? I'm still a little hesitant at, the, at that because how many people's ability to play both has changed has changed like deep playoff series? How, let, let's put it like that. I, I can think of one, but I'm gonna throw it to you first. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Sheed comes to mind. Uh, although you know they mostly had Ben out there. I do know sometimes they would have Sheed at the five. Um, KG was what I thought of. But. KG and Power are the ones I'm thinking of. Because um, I know, you know, some Bynum came and went for them. Um, yeah, that's true. I don't Bosch know. I, I think a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's sort of like an emerging thing that probably is more valuable now than it was back then. And the, the inverse is true as well. Like, we're now seeing some people who are normally fours play down if they're agile enough, right? Like Keegan. For example, he's pretty big. Markinen. Laurie Markinen is the example. Um, Julius could. He doesn't, but he could. Um, there's a couple of uh, 
there's a couple of small forwards throughout the league who are really just power forwards, right? Like the Clippers, like Kawhi, like he's, Kawhi's he's basically the playing the four for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Durant, Aaron Gordon, a couple of the guys we're talking about now have been small forwards for most of their career. Um, so just moving, moving on, uh, along, we can talk about Ka- Kawhi pretty easily hits. I think some of these, some of these, uh, categories when he's healthy, right? Like shooting team defense, probably even rim protection. Isn't he just deleted all of those things and like decent as yeah. a playmaker? Yeah, exactly. Phoenix with KD is like the same thing. He's really good at shooting and team defense and probably playmaking and rim protection too. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, he's, he is what he is. Aaron Gordon is one I wanted to talk about. He's been the revelation for the Nuggets, despite Murray and MPJ. He's Gordon's probably been their second best player. Um, I think he has elite team defense and it's elite just because they didn't protection. get bones enough minutes, man. I know. I know. RIP bones. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, it was free him, and now it's free him again. So we'll see what, what happens to Bones. Hopefully he can outplay Russell Westbrook for some minutes next year. Um, assuming Russell Westbrook goes back to L.A., which is not a given. Uh, yeah. So Aaron Gordon. He might go farther west. So. <laughs> a lot farther west. <laughs> yeah, farther west or farther east by a lot. I don't know. Um, what would you? How would you rate out Gordon? That's a good question. Um I mean, he's definitely a... I don't know if I'd call him an elite rim protector. He's, like, really good. Um, Like, it's not going to show up in block numbers, but he, like, I would imagine his defensive field goal percentage stats are pretty good on at the rim. Um, Good team defender. Like, he's, like, a s- decent shooter. I don't know, like... I think it's the threshold for power forward shooting has gone up. He's shooting yeah, 30... Yeah, I think he's not above average... This year is 37.6% from three on 2.6 attempts per game. That's like, I don't know. That's like, like no Jeremy, That's what Jeremy Grant used to do on the Nuggets, basically. Yeah, I don't I don't think he's uh, he hits the, the volume. And it makes sense no. if you think about how he plays, right? He's not just chilling on the three-point line. He's oh. like cutting and, hunt and chilling in the dunker spot and uh, just lurking and doing big man stuff, which is the whole point, right? Like some power forwards who can't shoot can do other stuff to actually still make up for that. And um, that's what Aaron Gordon does. He's a good on the nuggets. Yeah. He's a very good playmaker and um, a defensive. So he's like, above average. At- no, go ahead. Yeah. He's above average at, I would say team defense playmaking and rim protection. Um, if not elite, at, at least one of those things, um, you know, they like the nuggets are at their best defensively when, Jokic is not in drop because he's really big and has good hands. And when he's like at the level and all that, that means there's more responsibility on dudes like AG and sadly Michael Porter Jr. to help out on the back line. So, yeah, I don't think he's like a Jaron level, Mobley level monster at the rim, but maybe like right below that. Um, so definitely above average. So and that that's would, a good yeah, look. Those guys are lead protectors, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, those are the two hallmark, along with, like, Giannis. Those are the very clear, like, elite rim protector power forwards to me. Um, speaking of those two guys, so Mobley, um, even though he's, like, 12 years old still, I would put elite team defense and rim protection, below average perimeter shooting, and below average playmaking. But, I mean, you're already 19-20, and you're elite at two things. 
and maybe and not below average. Right. You're right. You're I'm probably hating. But, um, That's but, what, <laughs> he's probably average. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's um, especially when you look. He can create his own shot pretty effectively out of the mm. post. Like, I think I would count that as part of playmaking. Um, but if you want to call him not an above average offensive player for. A like that's the thing. Like I, I think he is an above average offensive player for a four. He is. Right? He is. You're right. So I'd, you're right. I'd probably give him above average um, playmaking, and then yeah, that shot is booty right now. But um, you know, as the article said, you only need to be elite at two of those things, and he is elite at uh, the two defensive aspects. So yeah. Uh, NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week. New customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Own the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, and if you, like you said, if you include making plays for yourself as part of playmaking, then I, I think it's totally, he's pretty good at, from the mid-range. He's not a bad passer. I mean, no, I mean, you no. look and he's at like, his turnover, it's 2.7 yeah. to 2.0, so. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's still not quite as, efficient as you would want him to be from outside of the restricted area in terms of mid-range shots i thought he would be a little better from there so um but again he's he's 19 or 20 or whatever so like it's only good things going forward for him um Giannis is another like textbook case study like elite team defense elite rim protection i'd say elite playmaking so like very easy everybody knows like, oh, he doesn't shoot and he does everything else like mvp <laughs> i mean um, yeah and side note that is the worst possible yeah. matchup for the knicks right oh yeah oh yeah 100 percent. no team in the east puts fear in my heart except for the bucks who put all the fear in my heart because i'm like they could just throw drew on <laughs> yeah. brunson fucking Giannis and brook on drew and just make pain for and, everyone and on else. offense like Mitch has gotten so good, but like I still don't want him having to guard a stretch five. Like yeah. that, like that, yeah. that is just tough on our defense. Like even though he's he's gotten better at doing that, but then he's just not in the paint and it's tough. Yeah, and Tibbs, this would not. You don't want to see us facing a team that Tibbs would have to do stuff that we haven't done before. So like schematically, like yeah. we we don't want to experiment. Um, most of the other teams, I think we can get by just doing what we've done. But if we did. If we played the Bucks with their sh- shooting, it's just like we need to try new shit, which we're not really well versed in. Um, speaking of teams like the the Sixers, uh, who are really good, but don't put any fear in my heart. Um, this is the most fascinating one to me uh, because therefore is Tobias, but I put he's them not an as shooter. Even I, I would say he's in a pretty elite shooter. He's pretty good. But I don't think he's good at all the other things on this list. You don't. So you think he's elite at that and not even? Let's see. He's, is he shooting forty percent from three? Like he? I mean, he always shoots well against us. So thirty-eight percent from three on um, on four and a half attempts per game. That's borderline elite. I'll give that to you just for the position. 
but um, yeah, he should be shooting more threes than he's than he is taking. Um, so like, I, I I definitely get that. You don't like his playmaking? And he's, I think he's a reasonably good connective passer, and like he's like when he's not forcing stuff. Yeah, I guess he's he's not bad, but I've never been like, oh, Tobias Harris making plays for I himself, mean, except his... for like the occasional pull-ups. <laughs> He doesn't turn the ball over. He can create some shots for himself. He can drive, and like he's a pretty solid passer. Like for like, I mean, if, if you have fours around the league, you're talk- There's guys who just who can't really who are just like PJ Tucker, right? Um, that might be the, the worst one, but um, on those standards, like I think I would put him probably above average playmaking. And I'm not really into his defense, though. That's I guess the thing. Like his defense is very very meh. And then this his it's also interesting because it's one of those extra nuances because his playmaking might be all right, but he doesn't do that on this version of the Sixers, right? With Maxi yeah. Harden and Bede. Like those guys are making all the plays for themselves and the others. It's not a coincidence. Somebody that... wrote I think you might have been like Dave Early, but somebody wrote an article about it, like his role is just kind of weird on this team and yeah. Yeah, he's he's probably got a little more in the tank in terms of playmaking, which you want for the playoffs, right? Cause he's going to have to tap into that if they're going to win. So better to have it and not use it than need it and not have it. Um, but it, yeah, he, he's I'll, definitely like a borderline case. Yeah. And I'll add, I do fear the Sixers more than like the Celtics, for example, uh, just cause I feel like Embiid and Harden are two problems. We don't really have good answers for. Um, so yeah, I'll take my chances with them. Trying it'll be an interest that would be a hilarious series because Embiid and Harden and then the Knicks collectively very much rely on free throws, which this bigot turns down a little bit in the playoffs. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that uh how that affects the show. both the teams. Yeah. <laughs> between um, between last quickly thing, and Brunson and Harden, you'll have how many head jerks will you have, right? <laughs> Just turn your head back be- like that. Look, man, don't even let us fuck around and trade for Embiid in the future because then every other team is going to be so mad at the, what the Knicks do from the free throw line. Um, and then you, have, of course, have the Magneto versus Xavier of coaching matchups. Doc Rivers it's against Tom uh, <laughs> I know. I think there's one of the few coaching matchups that I actually like for us. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen yeah. Doc. Maybe it's just because we haven't been in the playoffs as much as Doc, but... I've seen Doc fumble the ball a little bit over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, the last the last team on here uh, of the current contenders or quasi-contenders or whatever is Boston. Um, Tatum is their power forward, right? I know, like, Horford gets a lot of minutes at that power forward, but, I mean, we could do, like, both of them, really. I know Horford starts for them at power forward, and their closing lineup, it really depends on who's their, who they're playing, whether – Horford's in along with Rob Will or whether they slide Horford out and play Tatum. Um, if you evaluate Tatum, clearly an elite shooter, clearly an elite team defender, um, and above probably average above playmaker. average playmaker. And uh, doesn't even, really give you even, rim protection. He doesn't like not give you rim protection, but he's not like the other guys we talked about. Um, yeah. I mean, that's when you play a small forward at the four, like you're sacrificing right. on something and that's kind of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're relying on his team defense to make up for that. Um, and then if you if they're in Horford mode, he might be a fucking elite shooter for a four now. 
honestly, like yeah. as stupid as that sounds, because his shot died. Not a very aesthetic really, shot. It's not very aesthetically pleasing, and most of them are way open and uh, and you know catch and shoot. But the guy shooting forty five from three. <laughs> But he's another version of this play going back to when he was in Atlanta, really. Like he oh, yeah. is like oh, that yeah. article. This is that kind of player, right? Where he does everything yes. pretty much at a pretty high level. Um Yeah. And, That's what uh, I was gonna get at. Like like he's even if he's not even a, a even if he's only a nominal starter, like I think it's inarguable that compared to other starting power forwards, he's probably an above average shooter, an above average playmaker, an above average team protector, and an above average rim protector even now even at like 50 years old <laughs> yeah uh you 36 um he's um what i'll also add is this kind of going back to tatum a little bit so one thing i didn't mention in that article that a lot of power forwards traditionally we think of as doing is rebounding i did not mention that as one of the skills and specifically as it comes to the comes to the knicks right tatum is a solid rebounder if he has to keep Julius Randle off the offensive glass for seven games, that, that puts this theory to the test, right? Um, and I guess my question to you would be, you know, do you think that maybe that article or in general, it, it's undervaluing rebounding as part of it? I mean, you can kind of cheat and just like update it and by folding in rebounding into team defense, because that is kind of part of team defense, right? It's ending the possession. So if okay. I was the if I was the author of this article and I wanted to die on this hill still, that's what I would do. <laughs> I think I'd rather go with the opinion. Well, yeah, and the, and also like the thing is, how many people are good rim protectors but bad rebounders? Jaron Jackson Jr. is the weird one, but usually, like <laughs> to your point, if you're good at team defense and you're good at rim protection, you probably know how to box out. You're probably athletic enough to get rebounds. So. Um, you know, and and if you're you're not too like if you're you're too skinny to like box out, you're probably not going to be a great team defender, right? So, um, but that's that's the thing. Tatum kind of does those things, so I think he's an interesting case there. And uh, I'll be interesting to see what if and when Boston goes small. Uh, you know, because that's how the Knicks have built their team, right? Offensive rebounding in the age of small. Balls. I mean, we'll we'll see tomorrow, right? Because Robert Williams is out, so like they they pretty much have tonight to go for you. Small. It's tonight? It's Sunday? I thought tonight it was Monday. For you. I don't, let me see. I don't watch games live on the win streak. I, it, it's been working, so I'm not going to change it up. So I kind of <laughs> lost track. <laughs> yeah, it's tonight for you. Oh, yeah, it's it seven is. seven hours. Six it's and a half hours. Shit. All right, I'm going to watch that. Then I'm going to watch Last of Us. So we're good We're good this evening. Um. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's it is tomorrow. So. Me, so. <laughs> You'll see it tomorrow. Yeah. What is time? Man-made construct. Okay, enough about current contenders. This is Jaff fucking Strickland, and we got to talk about Jaff prospects. So bringing this full circle, the reason why this topic has always been of particular interest to us is because even now with Julius in, like, God mode and clearly satisfying the the rubric, right, it would still... I think everybody who's a Knicks fan would still acknowledge that it would be useful to have a virtual large wing of some sort on the Knicks bench, right? Like Obi is very talented, but I don't know if he's versatile and Josh Hart plays like a big wing, but isn't a big wing. 
so we're kind of like making do with what we have, not just making do, flourishing, right? I shouldn't uh, undersell it here. But as any, if you ask lots of different Knicks fans who care about the draft, including you, Stacey, I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, while you want to take the best player available, we seem to have a lot of guard minutes already gobbled up going forward, right? With Brunson and IQ going nowhere and Grimes presumably going nowhere unless he gets included in the superstar deal. That's three of the four guard minute slots pretty much gone. So, um, which brings us on another tangent, actually, that I know you wanted to talk about, um, which is the idea of does a prospect need lots of minutes to develop or not? Um, I, I know we kind of split on this and... It's almost a two-part question because on the one hand, I think that most prospects need some sort of playing time, even if it's not a lot to develop. Um, You know, there's the question of like, okay, what if you get a really young prospect and that playing time is in the G League, right? Does that count? Um, So there's definitely sort of ways around that. Um, I think my view on that mostly comes from just there's not, there doesn't seem to be many players around the league who kind of just didn't play earlier in their career. And then poof, turned really good. It's like Ant Simons and a couple other players, but it seems like the exception to me, although I haven't really looked at it. So, you know, when you're Walt Perrin and you're looking at guys who you can draft, you're going to have pretty much one slot on your roster for, for a rookie. Maybe they'll play a lot. Maybe they won't, depending on injuries and position and versatility and stuff like that. We know this Knicks team likes to take guys who are ready to play as opposed to projects um so there's kind of that layer on except top for of trevor that. keels except for trevor keels i mean our first round picks or our or our fake first round picks like with deuce where it was like or basically a first pick. round pick yeah or yeah exactly or our 58th pick um so we we know our pick is probably going to be in the 15 to 20 range depending on how much dallas sucks fuck them uh so we'll definitely have a chance in this draft to get a player like this if we want. Um, this draft sw- tends to be more wingy, I think, than prior. There's not as many guards, even though uh, one of your favorites, Jordan Hawkins, is often mocked to us, and he's a guard, which I'd be totally fine with for the record. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the power forwards and big wings here just because maybe some of them have that versatility, and if they don't have it now, maybe they can develop it in the future. So... Uh, we can start at the very top um, with somebody who we are almost certainly not going to draft because we won't pick high enough, and that's uh, Mr. Walker out of Houston, the 240-pound wrecking ball in defense. Um, wait, wait, isn't there another power forward at the top of the draft? Oh, Wemby, yeah, I guess technically. He, he'd probably <laughs> I mean, play a lot of power forward. Yeah, I mean, he'll probably play six, more power forward in, in his rookie year if I had to guess. So, What if they do the Lowry marketing thing with him? If I was his coach, I would be trying all types of stupid shit, bro. Yeah. You could do all this is the one time I endorse all the Stacy like positions don't <laughs> matter. Like like play you have Wemby, fuck it. Play him a shooting guard, bro. Play him at the two next yeah, what to if he goes to the Magic? Yeah, yeah, or if he goes to the Magic what? and they play like a bronze Wemby Bull Bull, um fucking all the six ten guys. They this would is, do it. It'd be fire. <laughs> and it'd be fire. You Franz know what at the I one. When, when, like, in the midst of the process, this is what I always argued the Sixers could do because they were a fucking joke anyway at that time, right? 
I wanted them to, they had Nerlens Noel, they had Embiid, they had Ben, I don't know if they had, they did, they, were, they had like Okafor, they had like, they had Dario Saric, they had like five, six, ten guys, and, and maybe Simmons was one of them, but I was just like, just throw them all out there, your spacing is going to suck, but like, you just have a million guys who, like, if anyone, if those guys get driven on, you're going to block shots at the rim, you're probably going to lose a million games, but like, just try some shit, you know, like. Instead, like they they were like, oh, we took three centers in a row. We can't, you know, we don't have a place for Nerlens Noel, Okafor, and Embiid. Like, like what what do positions matter when you're you're trusting the process, right? But that's just my little rant. Uh, it clearly did it work out for them. I don't know, but I wish they had done that at some point. I agree wholeheartedly, um, and I am very heartened to see some teams like Orlando take that approach successfully. Ish, I mean, depending on how you define that. Um, their problem is they don't have shooting. It's not like the, their big lineups work on defense. They just don't work on offense. That's the fun. That's the funny part. It's not like untenable. Oh, I forgot about Paolo. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> that's what I forgot. Yeah. Wemby yeah, at the three. Some, um... Paolo at the four. Yeah. Wendell at the five. Franz at the one. Bulbul at the two. Make it happen. Yeah, and not this is not a knock on Mark Fultz, by the way, but um who's been awesome and I think should be a part of their plans going forward. But uh, yeah, it'd be fun to see. And uh, just like Franz and Wemby playing defense together could be fucking insane. Like, yeah, they're one of those teams that like, if they jump up, I'll be like the basketball fan in me will be like, wow, this is going to be an amazing thing to witness as a fan. I'm great that, you know, after having so many lottery pick whiffs, some their fault, others not their fault. Like, I'm happy that they have this generational talent, but then the hater in but me. But they also got like, Shaq and Dwight Howard. Exactly, they got Shaq and Dwight Howard and fucking Penny, and they got yeah. Penny you know, was also a result a of the number one pick, right? Because they took, yeah, because they took C. Exactly. and traded yeah. So basically, three number one picks or th- number one pick equivalents fumbled the bag around Dwight many times uh, and just, you know, it's their own fault. They took Mario Hazonia and all that shit. Public Shack was just one of the most legendary blunders. Like, I don't know if you ever watched the documentary on that. There's been several documentaries. Like, like, a lot of people just take it as a foregone conclusion. Shaq could have gone to LA, but like, they probably could have kept him and they were just too cheap. Yeah. How you fumble shit? I don't know. It's historic talent. And then, uh, you know, they're in the East, so fuck them, right? So that's the other reason. So anyway, lots of teams could benefit from Wemby, but we're not here to talk about Wemby. I'm going to put an asterisk on him. Uh, Jairus Walker, he's pretty much another, like, poster child for this sort of thing, right? Like, he doesn't score a ton of points, even though he's not a non-scorer, and he's literally just good at everything. Like, he's, as a prospect, he's a probably, I don't know if you would, for a four, he's at this point, would you say he's an above-average shooter? Like that percentage is getting up there. Um, I would if well, I I wouldn't project him as one just because he's not a great free throw shooter. It's not a high volume, mm-hmm. but um, I think he's like in the sixties. His yeah. stroke looks clean. Um, you know, he's got a floater which I like a lot. I think in time he could get there. I'm like bullish on the shooting long term. He will not enter as one yeah, um i do fair. think where i i do think he has more scoring talent than i think 
yes. maybe people would say. I think he plays a smaller role because, you know, it, it, to an extent that was a little bit true of Grimes, right? Grimes was mostly just a shooter at Houston, partly because, um, you know, his skill set kind of played to that. But also, you know, we, we've seen that he has a little more talent off the dribble than he was able to show at Houston. They're just a very te- they're a balanced team, you know, and, and kudos to Kelvin Sampson. He's done an amazing job there, um, especially after, personally, I think he was dealt a pretty raw hand at Indiana. Um it's, but, um, but you know, going back to Jure, so, I, I mean, I, I think he has the makings of an elite team defender. Like, what are really... I think he's already one. I think after yeah. Wemby, and even arguably including Wemby, he's basically the best defender in the class. Like, he's... He's going to be able to guard guys Wemby will struggle with a little bit, right? At least at first, so... He like, can probably Jure's guard can... everybody. And his team defense is... Like, he, he's already... He's, a young freshman and he already is like processing the game like he he's not a mobley level defensive prospect just because mobley is taller but i would say he's like right below that as a defensive prospect yeah um so that that's a lead in two defensive skills and i think he's a pretty good passer i, I would call him an above average playmaker i really like him off the short roll stuff um yeah. so i mean there's and he, the thing is, I think I talked about this in this article as well. There's so many different pathways, right? If he just mm-hmm. becomes like this elite defender, um, like a Draymond, he, he seems a little bit of a nicer, well, I don't want to say nicer guy, not to call Draymond. But I'm going to say like, I don't know if he's kind of got that level of just insane personality as Draymond, but that type of a player, right? Like a, a elite defender who like can play a connective role on offense. Maybe he doesn't space the floor as well as you'd like, but it's so smart that he still adds value on offense. Or, you know, maybe like the defense doesn't quite get there, but he gets good enough at a bunch of things on offense. Maybe he can shoot the three a little bit that he becomes a PJ Tucker like player. Um, you know, he has multiple avenues. And we talked about this, you know, comparing guys like Patrick Williams or Koku to, to, to a guy like Obi Toppin where, and I, I talked about this, like Obi, I, I think I've become more bullish on Obi since the draft. But I do think if he wants to play a serious role in a contender, I do think he, like, I, I, like, I don't see him being above average on, at anything on defense. It's sad to say, maybe he could get to, like, above average secondary rim protection, kind of like what you're talking about with Stoudemire. Like, and he tries really hard, but uh, I think he'll need to hit elite offensive outcomes um, as a shooter and a playmaker, which is, it's not impossible for him. It's just, you know, the odds aren't great. Um, but, you know, guys like Patrick Williams and, and Poku had those multiple um, pathways. And uh, and I think Jarese is a guy like that where there's just a lot of... Uh, here, here's a real quick aside. How would you compare him to a guy like Patrick Williams as a prospect? Both young freshmen, both kind of similar body types. Uh, Patrick Williams maybe a little bit more athletic, but... Yeah, Patrick Williams is much more athletic, um, but I think Jairus is way ahead as a playmaker and way ahead as a shooter and... Uh... Probably ahead as a team defender and rim protector. Um, Pat Will was was very good at those two things, but like I said, I think Jairus is like a top, top, top end um, team defender in particular, where Pat Will was like good for his age, kind of. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Jairus, poster child for, you know, he's another one who would be really funny if like the Magic got him and how they fit him. What happens when you have a team of only yeah. versatile fours? Um, but real quick, I, I want to keep yeah. us moving because we do and have... Then you have skinny fours. You have skinny fours, and then you have the two uh, thick guys and WCJ exactly. and uh, 
Who cares? Sorry, go ahead. RIP Jonathan Isaac. Um, yeah, the next guy on my list here is somebody else you're a big fan of, Noah Clowney. Um, who Sorry, can I, can is... I interject for one second? There's one other. Yeah. This probably won't take long. Uh, yeah. Do you think, so given especially we talked about with Kawhi Tatum guys playing up, do you think it's worth evaluating, and we don't have to do this on this pod, do you think teams will be evaluating guys like the Thompson Twins, especially the Thompson Twins, for their ability to play the four, especially since the shooting doesn't look like it's a sure thing for either of them? I think it'll be like a for teams that like being more positionless, I think they'll definitely consider like, oh, this person can defend up and down, including all the way to the four, potentially, if they get stronger. So they jump high enough that they're fucking great rim protectors. So, yeah, I could see it. Cool. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that. And I think that would add a lot to their case if you bought that they could play the four one day because it probably lessens some of the shooting concerns and it allows you to do more with them on defense rather than... like I, I do think like because you can use them as a free safety from the four as opposed to just a wing stopper, right? And that's what makes... Gian- like Giannis can be a great wing stopper if you want it, but that's not how they use him to get the most value. So it definitely makes Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So back to the 23 class, Noah Clowney, um, one of the youngest players in the class. How would you evaluate him according to this rubric? Um, if I had to bet on a guy not being picked by the Knicks, it probably would be Noah Clowney. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't want him on the Knicks, but uh, it's a, he's a lot, he's a lot of, He's a guy who's it's a lot more potential than uh, product at the, the moment. Um, I would say, I think, I think like he he has he's again a guy with a lot of these pathways, but in terms of actuality, I don't think I can call him an elite rim protector yet. Um, I th- I'm close. I think I'm close to calling him an elite team defender, but he won't walk into the NBA on day one being one. Um, but I think he has the makings of like a super switchable guy, not qu- like in, in the Jaron Jackson Jr. mold. Um, but right now, like Jaron Jackson Jr. is a forty percent three point shooter in college. Clowney takes a lot, and I think this is this is an interesting question I throw to you. How much do you weigh, you know, that volume versus the results? Because um, I know like you're a bigger fan of volume, but when you're shooting twenty six percent from three, volume only goes so far, and he's only a sixty four percent free throw shooter. Uh, I'm not in love with the playmaking, especially compared to some of the other guys. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of pathways. I think his easiest pathway is to be like an elite defender on both of those things and then just get to like league average in three. Um, so I don't think he has as many pathways as a guy like Jairus Walker. But if you buy the shot, you know, there's something to be said about just how rare it is to have a guy who's who can protect the rim and shoot. It opens up so many things for your for your team. And that's the one thing the Knicks don't have. They have, there's two things that you mentioned. You mentioned the long rangey wing thing, but they also don't really have a stretch big or somebody who can protect the rim and shoot at the same time. Randall has given them in a stretch big in a sense, but he can't protect the rim. Right. So uh, I think that skill set is what's going to be valuable. But in terms of clowny, like I probably prefer um, a couple of the guys, I think I presume you you want to talk about to him just because there's um like, I, I'm not like, I can't, bet on his shot yet uh i can bet on him being a good defender i don't know if i can bet on him being an elite defender and i can't bet on the plane yet but he's also super young and, and there's gonna be physical games that'll help as well 
Yeah, I think that's a really good overview of Clowney. And um, his age means that he, the fact that he can't, even if he has less pathways than Jairus, he still has a lot of pathways, right? And he's an archetype that we don't have. And because he's 18, like, on the one hand, he probably wouldn't get a lot of minutes immediately on a team like the Knicks, but maybe they're okay with that since they will probably have their rotation set and he can just do like a red shirt rookie year almost or something like that. So, you know, uh, if the Knicks stick with their guns of contribute now type Brooks, then they probably won't take him. But if they decide to flip it and have somebody do an understudy year, then maybe they take someone like him. Um, the next guy I want to talk about is another fast riser, hot name, another freshman, Taylor Hendricks on university of central Florida. He's, Listed at like six eight six nine, but every time I look at him, he looks bigger. Maybe it's because the fro. I don't know. Um, his best skill is definitely his shooting and his rim protection. Um, he's got some Jaron in him as a prospect. Um, how do you how do you evaluate him as a versatile yeah. four? Yeah, of of the uh, of the potent, the realistic players the Knicks can get in this draft, he is by far my top choice. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think not that I want to get rid of Obi. I love watching Obi Toppin play, but I would imagine he wants to go somewhere and get minutes. I would imagine the backup four position is going to open up. Um, so it fits the need, and uh, and he fits that article. Like, just uh, first of all, I think he's an elite shooting prospect. Is that fair to say? I know you have a high bar for shooting, but I don't think that's he's up there. He's up there. I think. I think in any other draft, he'd probably be one of the best shooters. This draft just has a lot of crazy shooters. And especially, how many six nine, six ten? I mean, Brandon Miller, yeah. I guess, but but Brandon Miller can't play the four, right? Um, so he's a forty two percent three point shooter on four point six attempts per game, um, which comes out to eight point two three point attempts per hundred. Which, for those keeping score at home, is the same three point attempt rate as Emmanuel quickly in his sophomore year at Kentucky. So the guy gets these threes up at a pretty significant volume, uh, especially for a four. Uh, averages one point seven blocks per game. Uh, he's a decent playmaker. I wouldn't call him above average yet, but uh, there's enough there. Like he's not like a does nothing off the bounce guy. We've talked. A he's not about destined his, to be a black his, hole. Yeah, uh, but like I think you were also worried about his ability to like do anything besides straight line attack and closeout. Have you kind of gotten a little more optimistic there? Not really, but also he's a freshman and he's not an old freshman, so like it's one of those things that's a yellow flag but I just kind of don't care because he's really good at other stuff. And, you know, maybe he gets good at that later. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, if, if all he turns into all, all <laughs> I understand. If all, like his shooting indicators, I think, are elite for that position. I don't know too many fours who had these kind of shooting indicators. Uh, and, and he's an elite shot blocker for that position. Like, how much does it matter if he does the other stuff? I mean, it, it can work. Right, like there's high end three and D players who still kind of stink at putting the ball on the ground. Like OG Ananobi comes to mind. Like he's actually shoots worse on drives than RJ Barrett, despite driving a fraction of the amount of time. And he's not a particularly good passer. But everybody's still trying to trade for this motherfucker. So clearly, I know he play. I know he mostly plays the the three these days. I think what the problem is, it kind of limits your role a lot. Like you're pretty much destined to be no more than the third or fourth most important player. If you can't put it on the deck, which is fine, you know, especially if you're a high end role player, it's just like, 
in this NBA, you really need to, if, if teams heart make you put it on the deck, you got to be able to do something. But he's such a good shooter that if the bar is like, can he develop into somebody who can take a one dribble pull up or like one dribble and then a Euro step? Yeah, he'll probably do that. So I'm, I'm not super worried. Yeah, and you can do a lot of creative things with him. I think gives you lineup flexibility. That's, I mean, I, I mean, that's the guy I want realistic. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree, but that's who I want, real, like, of the realistic options for the Knicks. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, the mocks got him going higher, so he might be out of our range. Um, all right, I want to fly through a couple of more guys. Those are, like, the higher-end ones, I think. There's a couple of other fours that I want to do, like, quick hitter style before we wrap up and get out of here. Um, the next, is, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him, but... He's a really odd player as a prospect because he's older and he just started playing basketball in the middle of high school. Um, Naquan Tomlin on Kansas State. He's a starter. He starts at the four on one of the best teams in the country. But he is older. Like I said, 22. Compare that with someone like Clowney, who's 18. Um, what is Clowney going to be like in three and a half years, right? Probably a fucking monster. So from that perspective, Tomlin isn't really like scoring a lot or anything um have you had a chance to look at him or kansas state at all i watched i watched them play kansas they, they had a really great late game finish uh, i have a buddy who's a big knicks fan but also a pretty huge um kansas geocs fan so i watched that he um uh it's just, there's a lot to like about him i think kansas state in general is a fun team uh he's an older prospect i didn't know the backstory too much about when he um when he mm-hmm. started but so when did he start playing basketball i think in like the middle of high school he's he's from harlem um he's from harlem he had a growth spurt which is why he um despite being 610 he has some pretty shocking handle displays and flashes and stuff like that and he moves extremely well um and like you said, he's from Harlem, which is, you know, it's not part of the rubric, but yeah. also, always pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> good free throw shooter, takes threes, doesn't really hit him. I actually liked his form when I saw it. I was surprised when I went through his percentages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the kind, like, that is, I think he's definitely a second-round guy. I would I would love to set him to Westchester. The Knicks have done a good job developing players who, who come in with some tools and are willing to put in the work. Um, you know, he's, he's a good advanced stats guy, right? Good steal rate, block rate, BPM. He does little, like, and those are usually, like, the guys who are new to basketball. Mm-hmm. That's where I would look at because, like, that's usually a guy who, like, might have some physical gifts, but can he help you win a game? Well, he's playing a pretty significant role on, on, a, on one of the best teams in the country, and he's one of the bigger contributors to that by doing a lot of the little things that don't necessarily jump off the stat, stat sheet. Uh, definitely a great guy to take a second round flyer on, put him in Westchester, and, and check back in a year or two. Especially if yeah. you know if they don't decide to take one in the first round, like a four, and they go like you know like Darius. I don't know if they'd go for Darius Arch, but that type of a player at the four, and then or or if they keep Obi, then you're like you know let this guy marinate a bit. And I think you know for him to to be playing at this level starting so late, I would imagine is a pretty crazy work ethic. So that sounds like the kind of guy. That's a little bit like Rudy Gobert, right? Um, so Aaron, uh, Aaron would be interested, I think. Yeah, he's very interesting. I'm, it'll, as much as I would love to first round him, I write, I think he's too much risk as a 22-year-old, but somebody will take a swing. Um, the last three guys I want to go through real quick. Uh, the first one is Gigi Jackson, who's had a 
precipitous fall down Mox. He's also by far the youngest prospect this year. Um, all the flashes, almost entirely theoretical. He's almost like Poku in the sense that I'm like, he could be good at a lot of these things, but like he actually isn't, but he has the movement skills to do that, but he hasn't actually done it. So I don't even know what to make of him anymore. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a really fascinating, weird player. Uh, sorry, not a weird player. Um, like he's super talented. It just isn't resulting in obviously showing up in terms of wins. Um, and um, you know, I, I think um, in our group chat, I think it was Arya who mentioned this, uh, Arya Chala. Um, but essentially, he was asking like, you know, how many? So I'll I'll, I'll throw the question to you on on here. And shout out Arya if you're listening. Definitely not trying to steal your thunder or anything. But he was asking, and I think it was about Gigi. Um, you know, if you're like, how many like elite wing scorers are there that are whack passers? Um, elite. I guess it depends how yeah. you define elite, but most of them. He was can saying do- like a guy like Paris Levert wouldn't qualify, for example, right? So like. Because he said, I think originally scorers who like are whack passers, and someone's a Karras, and he's like, no, nah, I mean like a like a bi type or like a Tatum type or something. Yeah, I mean, once you're that level of scorer, then it just becomes so easy to pass the minimum bar of proficiency by just using your gravity, right? If you're a tier below that, when you're talking about like Prime Harrison Barnes or Terry Rozier or Kelly Oubre or whatever, then it's just like, okay, you're just somebody who takes a lot of shots. Or RJ, right? Who takes a lot of shots but doesn't really pass that much. So, um, or Beasley, but it, right? Yeah, I think Michael Beasley is like the archetypal, like he could get a bucket whenever he wanted, but obviously never developed that part of his game. But yeah, you, would so, you have called Michael Beasley an elite scorer? I mean, as a prospect, absolutely. Not in the NBA, but um, so yet with Gigi, it's like, I don't think he's good at any of the things right now which is kind of damning as a prospect, but I think he could be. Which is I, kind like of, I feel a little bit like that about Clowney too. That's kind of what I was saying too, right? Besides, well, he's a yeah. good defender, I guess. Clowney's actually a good defender right now. I don't think Gigi's, he's had flashes, but I don't think he's consistently a good defender right now. So it's just really rough, uh, but it wouldn't be crazy to see him in two years become a good team defender, rim protector, playmaker, or shooter. So, uh, He's kind of just his own weird category here. Um, maybe we could come back to How much do you think like, his team being ass? It's definitely part of it. <coughs> into that. And, you know, there seems to be some friction with the coach. I definitely don't want to be like one of those scouts. Who's like, Are there character issues or something? I don't know whose fault it is, but it could be the coach's fault or it could be that he's not being put in the best position. Um, you know, I, I think that is, that's the whole... So one thing is I'll say is that I'm tempted to say it feels a little like Tari Eason, except Tari Eason was efficient and like did contribute a ton to wins on both ends of the floor. Like, yes, he had gotten foul trouble, but he was a high impact defender, right? So I don't think that's a fair um, um but kind of going back to like the assist thing, right? So I think assist rate is something a lot of scouts will look at just to judge feel of the game. And feel for the game also impacts whether you become an elite scorer. So if you're a bad passer in college, sure, you can, like, if you're good enough at scoring, it'll open up easier windows in the pros. But do you think that if you're a bad passer, if you lack that feel, one, does that apply to Gigi? And two, if it does, 
do you think that makes you reevaluate his scoring outcome? Because you you need to you you need more than just scoring ability. You also need like to be able to read your defense. You still need to know everything that's going on on the floor to be an elite scorer, right? And if if there's indications that you might not have that, uh, you know, how, how do you kind of think about it? That I definitely view it as a yellow flag, and we see it with RJ, right? Like since he's a prospect, he's like, oh, in theory, he should be able to leverage his his ability to dominate the ball and score and drive to pass. And that's been purely theoretical for his entire career because of feel. So um, I do think it's one of those th- things like you alluded to earlier. If you're not an elite, elite scorer, then yeah, you can't be a, you can't be have whack feel or else your playmaking is really going to suffer. So um, that's definitely a, something I'm worried about with Gigi. He's, I don't think the Knicks will take him just because he's not, a kind of player the Knicks take, but um, he's definitely going to probably, I'm not even going to pretend to know where the fuck he's going to get drafted, man. He's just like a, a mystery. I could see him going 10th. I could see him going 30th and neither outcome would, would surprise me. Um, the last two guys I want to talk about are both much more win now kind of contributors who can join a team as a rookie and probably help out. One of them is older. One of them is a little younger. The first is Kyle Filipowski from Duke, who is, one of my favorite prospects just because he's really unique. Like if you run statistical queries about him, there's just not a lot of players like him, guys who launch a lot of threes, get a lot of steals and blocks, don't really protect the rim, have crazy high usage and rebound like insane person. So he's somebody who I don't know where his like prime NBA skills, how, how good he'll be, but I could, I could see a version of him that, is solid at team defense, playmaking, and perimeter shooting. But I could also see versions of him that are just like good shooter and not great at anything else. Um, so there's him. And then the last guy is Chris Murray, who, uh, you know, twin of Keegan, also 22 years old, like Naquan, um, but much, much, much more polished. And like Keegan, can probably slide between the three and the four. Um, a big scorer for Iowa, but not quite on the level that Keegan was. So what do you think of Flip and Chris? Yeah, so I'll start with Flip. Uh, so there's two things. One, just on Tankathon, Chris Murray's mocked 17th. Flip is mocked 18th, which is currently the pick the Knicks would get from the Mavs. Um, the first question I ask you is, do you think he's a power forward at the next level? Can he guard Flip? force? Yeah. Flip, yeah. I think Flip can guard force. You think he has the speed, the foot speed to guard fours and to do like the perimeter stuff? Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, and then if I say these two names, and I promise I could not think of non-white players, I'm sorry. So these are the two that came to mind. With kind of the, um, the like, you know, the three-point shooting, the event generation on defense, and the rebounding. Um, Josh McRoberts and Moritz Wagner. How would you compare him as a prospect to those? Or in McRoberts' case, I wasn't familiar with him as a prospect, but I watched him a lot in the league. That's who I compared Wagner to, who I did watch a lot as a prospect, and who at least flipped from a statistical standpoint. Like those skills, at least I think that combination is similar to McRoberts a little bit. I think there's definitely some similarities. Um, McRoberts, I forgot about him. He was a really good playmaking prospect. He was an exceptional passer. Um, he didn't really shoot like that just because of the era, right? Like flip his three point percentage kind of stinks, but I think he's going to be a really good shooter, mostly on hunt based on hunch than 
statistics. He takes a shit ton of threes, um, even if he doesn't make them. And then um, Mo Wagner, I think, has some similarities in that, like, he moves pretty well. He can shoot. He can put it on the deck. He can rebound. Um, another guy who actually came to mind, oddly, is, like, later career Robert Covington for me because okay. Covington – I mean, Covington has a much longer wingspan, but they both – are really good they both have really good hands like flip gets a fucking ton of steals and deflections um and can guard in space a little bit even if he can't really protect the rim and you know covington for a long time was an impact god just by taking lots of threes and just getting lots of stocks and deflections and being a really good team defender so if flip can like amp up his team defense a little bit. I think there's definitely a pathway to being really plus impact there. Um, but if he ends up on a team like Charlotte and they're not going to coach him on defense, then I, I would not bet on that. But if he was drafted by like, <coughs> Miami or some the shit, Knicks? then I'd be like, oh, this fucking guy. Yeah, or even the Knicks. Like He's probably a little big for this archetype for me. Um, I'd rather air on someone more wingy but i could see why he would appeal to this front office he's young but not the youngest he can sh- probably he's afraid to, he's not afraid of putting it on the deck um he's that's good impact metrics um he's so, from a big program which it seems like I'm a matters big program. To them, like, um yeah. the other and same the other thing same, about, sir, good. no i was just gonna say and sim- same thing with chris right like they could plug him in big well i guess i was not like a big big program but like they could plug him in um, he's not really a pull-up shooter or anything like that, but he's a really solid team defender. He's an okay uh, rim protector, not like Keegan, and he's an okay above-average shooter. So I, I kind of put both of them in this category of like slightly underwhelming, but definitely uh, talented and versatile. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, adequately whelmed, I would say, actually. <laughs> I'm um, in, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think both of them, so I think both of them, it's fair to say both of these would kind of end up in the, a variety of above average skills more than the two elite skills bucket right here. It's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think kind of on a meta level, the Knicks have favorite prospects like that, right? Quickly mm-hmm. was that guy who had a lot of outs, I think, right? I think he quickly had the outs of like, can he amp up his, uh, is the free throw rate an indicator that he can amp up his on-ball and, and interior scoring? Ended up being a very resounding yes, more than he could have imagined, right? Uh, but he also had the shooting. Can he be a shooting specialist and with his length guard ones and twos and be a, an off-the-bed shooting specialist? Um, you know, is he is he kind of a glue guy type like he was? In there were multiple outs there, right? Grimes, same thing. He could have been just a 3 and D specialist. They would have been okay with it. But then, you know, there's the playmaking. So I think, like, on a broader level, they like guys who have... Um, you know, these multiple pathways to success um, with like a high floor, but then with like, so I think with flip at worst, like he's a rotation big who can, you know, come in, you know, space the floor a little bit, eat up six fouls. Right. And um, maybe give you some hustle plays. Right. And then if you look at the polish and the skill, there's some upside there. And I think with Chris Murray, um, it's just, it's the same thing. And that was what was so good about Keegan as a prospect where there, there's, there really isn't too many. They just check so many boxes, right? The only thing you don't have is like elite creation. That I think that was a bigger question with Quigan because Quigan, 
that was a bigger question with Keegan because where he's being mocked was top five, top ten, and it's like, yeah, but those guys you really like him to at least have the chance to be a number one option. Um, but um, but so Chris Murray is more in the range where you're like, I don't really care about that, right? The guy can shoot at a very high level. He impacts winning in a number of ways. Can create events. He can guard the four. He can guard the three. He can probably play in a pinch at the five. And you probably wouldn't agree with that, but. Uh, you know, I think Sacramento has done that with his brother a little bit. Um, I think that will matter a little bit to the front next front office too, um, and probably to a lot of teams. When I think NBA bloodlines probably matter more than people like to admit, and when someone literally has the exact same genes as you, they're having a lot of success, and you have a really similar game. I think that matters to scouts probably more than we think. And uh, and in, in Chris's case, I think you've mentioned doesn't have quite the like shot making of Keegan and the versatility. But he's still shooting 40% from three, and he's 6'8". So it's not like he's going to be, for the most part, they both have high releases, so they're going to be contest agnostic. Um, like, it's just hard to see this guy not being, like, a pretty good rotation player, can start, can be, like, a, a heavy bench guy for, like, 10 years, um, and can fit into a variety of lineups. And those are those are the kinds of guys the Knicks have liked. And, you know, Tyrese has mentioned this a lot. Tyrese has said... Chris Murray is like the Walt Perrin pick for this draft. And in many ways, I do you feel like it's, it feels boring to me, especially if there's guys we could, like if Hendricks could potentially be an option or even Flip who might be a little bit more upside-y. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's if you're picking 17th and you get a guy who can be a, a very reliable backup to Julius, you know, as, as we go forward and take that step to contender, even if it is just the OB role of 15 minutes a game, if you have a guy that's on a rookie deal that can like not make you hold your breath every time Julius Randle has to leave the game, but you're like, okay, he's going to come in and do fine and, and give, give Randle a rest. You know, that's that's a pretty valuable skill set to have. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'd, it would definitely be a boring pick. I'd be like, ugh, but he's he's a hooper. He, he knows what he's doing out there. Um, Cool. All right. So this was awesome. And I'm going to turn this and what we've covered into an article for massive massive plagiarism slash easy product creation um for the strickland so thank you for outlining a piece on a pod uh, i think some people prefer reading this stuff some people prefer listening to it so now they'll have either option um we'll see who sure the next pick up, up in chat gpt 3s uh training data so in who <laughs> better you oh, than oh. better <laughs> you than chat gpt 3 taking my stuff so did that happen well, they train it on like publicly available text data, right? So, <laughs> oh, so, so somewhere out there, somebody's like, "AI, show me versatile power forwards and <laughs> an analysis of it." And that is actually, you know. I do want to see if you could create, like, if you just took everything on draft Twitter and like everything that's written about the draft, can you like train a model or like a train? Can you feed it to that model and train it and get it to like predict who's going to be good? We got to uh, see if. Uh, if any of the money coming in from the Strickland merch, if we could set some of it aside for this very important experiment, I'm going to start advocating with the powers that be. Um, so, guys, if you want to see this, please subscribe to the Patreon. Um, we go over all the tiers every time. So, uh, yeah, if you want to see me build uh, Morpheus for the draft, then no, not Morpheus, Agent Smith for the draft, I should say. If you don't subscribe, we can't build it. Um, or Stacy, not me. Um, Stacy, do you want to? Quickly tell the people where they can find you and plug anything you want to plug. 
yeah, you can find all my work on the Strickland. Um, I host Pod Strickland, um, the Monday ones with Schwinn. Uh, so the ones that are neither a Schwinn solo nor Prez here. Um, and I also host the Believe Next Pod with Matt Miranda, which we're dropping another episode. Should have dropped today, uh, or it'll be dropping very shortly. So um, to be on the lookout for that. All right, you heard him. Stacy Patton at Stacy Patton89, king of the positionless, versatile prospects. Go subscribe or not subscribe. Go follow him on Twitter and stay tuned uh, to more pod Stricklands to get more Stacy and more draft Stricklands to get more Stacy because uh, he'll definitely be back. Listeners, thank you. Enjoy your March Madness. I'm not making a bracket, so it's not going to be stressful for me. But if you're making a bracket, good for you. I hope you don't get too stressed about it. May I humbly suggest that you put the money that you would put towards brackets towards subscription to the Strickland Patreon or towards Strickland merchandise. I promise you'll be happier. And on that note, we will see you next week. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.